You are listening to Get Real Podcast. As far as, and this is getting theological, so our audience have to bear with me, but it, I think it's interesting and pertinent. Um, when it comes to Calvinistic, Arminian, pessimistic, optimistic, <laughs> um, where are you at? On that stuff? <laughs> Where am I at? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm I'm at the opinion that God cannot be surprised, uh, and uh, you know the whole issue of Calvinism uh, really comes down to the question of the sovereignty of God. Mm-hmm. You know, either God is sovereign or God is not sovereign. Uh, and if God is not sovereign, guess what? He's not God. Yeah. <laughs> We're in uh, trouble. Yeah. And so you know, uh, that's where I'm at. God cannot be surprised. And uh, God is not standing by like some kind of a heavenly bellhop uh, waiting for us to make decisions in order for him to react or respond to it. He's got the big picture, and he knows how it's all going to work out. And each one of us is part of that big picture. I'll eat brats with this guy. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. So to the person, our listener, and I, I hope we have listeners that don't believe in God. I really do. So I think that, we do. I think we do. Yeah, I, I, you know, and that's a, that's an okay place to be at. Yeah. They did until they listened to us. And they're like, forget this. <laughs> forget this. We don't they're like, part. no, those, wrong path. Those two guys. Wrong path. That, that guy who walks his dog in his red, white, and blue speedos. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that was a joke from this, joke this from morning's <laughs> podcast. We were a little bit frisky this morning. Um, what would you say to the person right now that doesn't believe in God? Just says, hey, wait a minute. All this stuff is random. You know, just we, we emerged out of the primordial soup by chance. What what would you say to them, Joe? Well, I would say, why would you ever be asking that question? <laughs> you know, <Okay. laughs> you know, where did that first of all, where did that question come from? Uh, you know, it, 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 it begs the, the further question. Why are we not oblivious to the question, period? I mean, if God did not exist at all, we would not need to be asking the question. If we're asking the question, it is because we suspect, we suspect that there is, there is some probability that God exists. And so it moves us to ask the question. That would be my response to it. That's really good. Yeah. When you think about it, the, the architecture of our psyche is in a, it, it begs that. It pangs for, it's obsessed with eternity. It's obsessed with, oh no, I'm not going to live forever. How can I can live forever? And we're not going to live forever? It's obsessed with the idea of meaningfulness. Hmm. Do we have meaning? I mean, if we don't have any meaning, then why are we going through all this? Yeah. Why bother? Why bother, you know? Why bother? The antithesis of the, the nihilism of just, there is nothing, nothing, there is no truth other than what I make up in my mind, you know, the, on the, the more uh, aggressive yes. side of that, which okay. is the opposite of what the conscious is actually saying, which is kind of what we were talking about this morning about jumping into some sort of... Um, universe of your own making without any specificity without any there is no truth that's what we were trying to say right. yeah, this that's morning exactly what we were trying to just, say this morning but uh no that's uh, and that's if good there is no truth there is no meaning period yeah mm-hmm. so for those of you that are questioning rewind and go back and listen to the answer i could just sit on that and think about that oh, yeah. for hours uh, that is just simple but profound is, yep. is the best way to describe it 
How about for the person that does believe that God exists, but has just distanced himself and he's over at the sports bar right now, just, yeah. just hanging out doing nothing? So, you know, if, if he or she feels distant, it's because they are not alone. Um, and that's sort of, um, you know, it, 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 it sounds ironic. Um, it sounds counterintuitive. But if, if we feel distant, it's because we are not alone. There, you know, and, and the reality, the, the bottom line reality is that there is no place where I am that God is not. It's as simple as that. If God is omnipresent, if God exists and God is truly sovereign, God is omnipresent, he's omniscient, he, and he is, there, there, there is no place where I am that God is not. Uh, I would challenge them with that observation. How, why would I challenge them with that observation? Because I've been there. I have been at that place of, of sort of this personal desolation, of sort of this personal distance. But, but just in this self-talk, suspecting that even in, in, in my personal isolation, I had an experience of sensing that really I, I was not alone. That truth. Dan, you were with me when that kind of set in and really became a reality to me that God's everywhere. Mm -hmm. We talk, you know, theologically, we talk about the, oh, God's omnipresent. But then at the same time, you'll hear people say, well, God's not there, or you're not going to find God there, or he's not going to show up there. But it's, what, what was it? It was a year ago when we went to Charlotte to the Nightwish concert. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, and I came. Over at me. And I came. I came and tapped yeah. you on the shoulder. Yeah. Okay. And it was when Floor took off on the stage. Mm -hmm. You know, a six foot one. You know, power Nordic. Nordic. You know, just little G guys. Kind of just Wonder Woman takes <laughs> off on the stage, just in complete freedom. And Simeon, my son, when we came out of there, his reaction was like, "Wow!" Everybody was just in awe. Just settled you know it was just peaceful in there at, at a metal concert and deb this was the first time she had gone to see them and she taps me on the shoulder just right after that's like they are rocks crying i mean yes. it just became so evident and it's like god was here at this heavy metal concert moving in whatever way he was moving on everybody and when i walked out of there it's like god does show up he is everywhere he is omnipresent. And he loves those people. He's not just waiting yeah. for them to file into a church building. He's moving on them. And yeah. he, he made them. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, because I can't take it easy on you because you have a PhD. Um, <laughs> well, I have a doctor of ministry. Let me qualify that. A PhD is different. You know, they're a different uh, level of reality. Okay. Oh, okay. okay. I'm still not going to take it easy. On. No, <laughs> the, um, well, this one is something Glenn and I have talked about a lot on the podcast, and I'm always interested to hear people that, that I have a respect for and people that are well-studied in, in School of Hard Knocks as well as in theology. Um, why does God allow evil in the world? We've done couple of shows oh, about yeah. it but why is you know it here what? you mentioned sovereignty <laughs> great great question and you know what i i have i have uh, gone into the studies of you know sort of the classical apologetic studies of answering that question but you know the bottom line is because god loves us god loves us and he loves us so much that he has allowed us to make 
free choices along the way. If God were to control every possible dimension or element that would bring evil uh, in, into our space, if he were to control every single part by personally intervening and in preventing the action of men and women uh, that perpetrate evil, then you know what? If he were to do that, if he were to uh, intervene in all of those cases, then we would have absolutely no freedom of choosing. Uh, the presence of evil is obviously uh, an expression of the fallenness of the nature that we're in, but God has also chosen to allow us the liberty to make choices as to how we're going to respond to that evil and how we are going to personally manifest the love of God through the experience of evil acts. Many examples exist out there in our own community, the Mother Emmanuel uh, crisis and tragedy that occurred uh, back in, in, in 2015, of course, is, is an example of that and how that congregation, how that community of faith made a decision that they were going to respond to evil. Uh, and so evil exists and God doesn't intervene in all elements because God loves us. And if he were to intervene in every single act of evil that is perpetrated, then we would have no freedom. We would have no freedom of choosing. That whole incident at the Mother Emanuel Church in downtown Charleston that occurred in 2015, not only did the church itself in forgiving the perpetrator, and I'm not going to mention his name because it's not really worthy to be mentioned, in forgiving him, the whole community, the whole Charleston community, it amazed me how it was a spirit of coming together and of forgiveness and not of militancy, not of hate or anything like that, and the way that the whole community responded to evil. And I think that really kind of took the world by surprise, especially being here in South Carolina. Yes. It, yeah. it really did. It yeah. really did. So that's a... I'm going to think about that. Well, their response was counterintuitive. And you know what? The Christian faith itself is counterintuitive. Yeah. Uh, and their response, I mean, I, I took pause and I stood in awe, personally. I did. Well, when you look at um, the dynamics of the Christian faith, it is indeed, it is not some sort of neo-Darwinistic expression to to forgive in the face of of evil, someone doing that. It would be so natural for just wrath, payback, um, bigotry, uh, just everything to just inflame. And it's so natural to go the opposite direction. And it has that appearance humanly of, of, I guess, weakness to, to forgive or to not fight or to not do this. But what a beautiful expression when you sit there and consider it, because I'm so convicted about it all the time. And if I'm tempted in traffic, that guy, the Lance Armstrong <laughs> wannabe, I get this call from this guy going, you can't pass a bicycle. And he's like, like just a activist for cyclists. And I was like, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't endanger the, the guy on the bike. Yeah. And, but I just, oh, he just, just rubbed me the wrong way. And then I sit there and I, I have to tremble over just like, we really have been forgiven. God, Christ did that. And the warnings that he gives about that, it'll put a tremble in your soul, you know, to sit there and go like, no, no, I want to flow with forgiveness. I really do. So. You said something that is a paradox, though. It's, it's not true that it's weak to forgive. It's not weak to forgive. It's hard it to It feels, do. or it looks weak, it looks humanly. On the, uh, it looks on the outside, yeah. 
that's because a lot of people just say, hey, I forgive you, and they don't really mean it. There, there's a counterfeit forgiveness, I believe, where it's like, yeah, I forgive you, and then they, they're, you know, seething in the heart. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's. I think it's so temporal. Like, if you sit there and accelerate things in your mind, for example, you're mad at somebody in traffic, and you're like, oh, what I would I'd give this guy a piece of my mind. And then if you back off and accelerate things, think of that guy... 20, 30 years from now, think about where he's going and after that and where his bones are going to be buried and what would happen to his soul. All of a sudden, when you get above just the brief flicker of our mortality and you start dealing with people on an eternal level, yeah. a lot of that foolish fire kind of dies out, you know, and you sit there and you you have a more eternal perspective. I think that's what the Holy Ghost does with us to quicken us so we can walk in the gift in this in the spirit, you know. And not be a jerk, you know, because <laughs> it's just I said, being a jerk could come so naturally. But you get in more of an eternal mindset or you read the word. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, oh, OK, I only got a few years here. So does he. And then after that, you know, it's a lot of stuff. So it's weak to be a jerk. Yeah. It's weak. strong yeah. to forgive. Yeah. It yeah. sets it in perspective yeah. for sure. Quote yeah. of the day. Right That's there. it. There we I'm, go. The it's a wrap, guys. I'm going to order the t-shirts. <laughs> it's a wrap. T-shirts. <laughs> say no to nihilism, kids. <laughs> Just say no to nihilism. <laughs> this yes. is your brain. This is your brain on nihilism. Another thing that you talk about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that just caught me. <laughs> Another thing you talk about in the book is the pluralistic nature of society and how that is both a help to spreading the gospel and also presents challenges to presenting the gospel. Can you share with us a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the obstacle uh, to sharing the gospel is... Uh, you, we, need, we need to push back on labels. Uh, the pluralistic nature of God, and, and it's, it can, this can turn into a controversial conversation, uh, no question We're about it. it. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I mean, the pluralistic nature of God is, you know what? The, the tent is a lot wider than we have been led to believe. Uh, truly, God welcomes all people. And how we flesh that out and develop that in, in terms of how we love people and bring them into community is a challenge for us because, you know, we're, we're, we have our limitations and all of us have to address those limitations. But it's pushing back on labels. Uh, the, the opportunity of pluralism really is at the level of, if I can use the word, infiltration, uh, and what I mean by that, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but infiltration, meaning that we need to engage in the marketplace of ideas and conversations and not hold back and understand that, uh, you know, by engaging that way, uh, we are fleshing out, uh, you know, outreach to all people and we're engaging in that conversation. Uh, we need to be all-encompassing in, in the arts, uh, you know, Christianity has always been, really, if you look at the history of Christianity, Christianity has been at the forefront of, the, of, of artistic engagement with society, which, have, which has helped to spread the message of grace, the message of the love of God through the gospel. Uh, and so th those are the two areas. Uh, there's a tendency to, particularly in, in this, you know, political and historical context that we are in in our society, uh, we are in this process of labeling 
labeling people. You're either this or that. So I mean, the pushback is to stay away from the labeling process. And the opportunity is to infiltrate and, and do it in a way that, you know, we're not, we're not scared to engage. Uh, and, and so it's, it, it's, gonna, uh, it, 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 it's going to entail identifying what our, our calling and our gifts are to be able to engage in that process and engage the arts in that expression. What are some examples that you can give where you think immediately of Christianity being at the forefront of the arts? Well, music. There's no question about it. Um, you know, the uh, uh, current genres that exist uh, in commercial music. Uh, man, there is absolutely nothing wrong with Christian leaders understanding uh, those genres and adopting those genres and sharing the message of the gospel. Uh, you know, and, and let me let me qualify by saying this, that, you know, when I entered the faith, uh, I fell in love with the historical hymnology of the church, uh, the historical hymns of the church, and the way that they express and share the gospel. But understand that these hymns were written back in the 16th, 17th, 1800s, where the context of society was vastly different and, and addressed those needs. I mean, it spoke to my heart, but then again, I also understood that there was a current um, contemporary genre uh, that was being adopted by a number of Christian artists that were sharing that faith. And so that, that would be one clear example. You take a look at the roots of rock and roll. That came from gospel music. Yeah. That, Sister Rosetta Sister Tharp. Sister Rosetta Tharp. Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much. There you go, right there. Yeah. There you go, right there. Hmm. Yeah. And, and the labeling and... I think labels... Is it because we want, we don't want to be we want to be less lonely and feel safe? Is oh yeah, we love labels. Yeah, we we yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Labels allow us uh, a comf a comfort zone, if you will, uh, where we understand those labels, we understand those symbols, because we you know really you know we think at the level of symbols, uh, and you know these symbols and these categories help us to feel get the warm and fuzzies. Yeah. You will. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And what people do is they limit themselves within those labels. They do. And they never really fully realize, so long as they stay within those limitations and those boundaries that society has put on them, never really fully understand the fullness of the giftings that they've oh, been yeah. given. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it a creates bondage. the dynamic, uh, you know, part of the dynamic is a groupthink dynamic where people within the group you know, embrace those symbols and embrace those categories. And if you're seeking to push the envelope on those categories and symbols, then you start to be labeled yourself as a person that's going against the grain. Yeah. I like this conversation. I do. I, and I we're, really like and you and I are hypersensitive to that. I mean, like uh -huh. to go into, I can read it, I can feel it in a church. I'm like, oh, and it's like, where do I go? I have a lot of our listeners, you might be frustrated. I know here in the Bible Belt or in the United States in general, there's a lot of churches, there's a lot of good churches not knocking them just in our experience or maybe we're just intense deep thinking people or something where we pick up on these things and other people are like hey they got we're gonna have fried chicken and hang out and it's more of a casual thing and um but i i don't i don't like group think and um labels no. make me nervous no that's one of the problems that i have when i go and visit some churches it's like so what are the rules here that i have to adopt to be a part of the group Right. I, I don't want to do. Yeah, I don't want to do that. Yeah, you, you go with one group and you, you're buying a six pack of beer, and somebody's going to look at you like you're on 
you're on deck for hell. Yeah. I've, I've, I've gone to those churches. I mean, yeah. or I've known people like they look at me and they're like, uh, and then you go to other places and it's like, it, it's just business networking. It has nothing to do with Christ or it's just social or it's, it's just interesting, but there's a whole, uh, whole different dynamic. And that's why and you, you and I feel very comfortable on the outside. Yes. Amen. It, it's true. <laughs> I'm not knocking it. It's no, like no. My, my wife will get on to me sometime and I'm like, I, I just, right now, I, I just, I need a little time. I can't do it right now. And I feel bad because I feel like I'm in violation of one of the things that are in scripture, but I'm not forsaking. Forsaking right. is forever to me, at least that's how I justify well, it. I'm like, I need some time. I need my mind well, back. When it says the forsaking of our, the assembling of ourselves together in the scripture, this is something that I've had to think long and hard about in the situation that I'm in and, you know, I'm not a member of a church right now. Um, and some would say, well, you're destined for hell now because you're not a <laughs> member of a church, but there's three believers in here right now and we're fellowshipping and where two or more are gathered in the name of Christ. There he is. And this is a fellowshipping uh, that, that's going on and we're outreaching to, to people. So that's I, think, true. I think the dynamic is changing. And if we go back to the early church and what the early church was like, um, it wasn't like what we know church as in South Carolina or yeah. in the Western culture. Exactly. It's yeah. totally different. They yeah. got together and they're like, they're sharing stuff. They're talking about stuff. That'd be like if I didn't hang out with you or any other believers and I was just kind of doing my own thing. But what we're doing here, I really believe that this is God ordained and that this is we're not forsaking the, the assembling of ourselves together. Even when we Skype with our, our friends in Britain. Oh, that was that was yeah. so um, enriching. Or yeah. like even now, it's like you're with believers, you're with people that love Christ, but it's not group thinky, legalistic, and, and weird, yeah. you know, right. and full yeah. of like pride or ritual or right. just it's it's a beautiful thing, fellowship. It is. It, it's mm. an absolute beautiful thing. The color of God. Yeah. I love this section of oh, the wow. book. Okay. What My is, mind just yeah. went kind of. <laughs> the color of God. Yeah. What man. is the, what is the, we're going to go there. Well, what is here, the color of God? Here's the deal. The inspiration for that article came from the book, The Color of Water, uh, written by, it's an autobiography by James McBride. It is, uh, it is an absolutely beautiful uh, autobiography. Uh, so uh, James McBride is the product of a biracial couple, and uh, his mother was Jewish. And so when, when uh, James be, started to become of age, somewhere between the age of five and seven, he started asking questions about God. And, uh, and, and so he asked his mama, you know, what's the color of God? And, and she said to him, um, and I'm paraphrasing, but she says to him somewhere along the lines of, you know, God is not of any color. God is the color of water. Uh, and she then goes on to elaborate what she meant by that. It's Go a fact. Man, I'll tell you what. <laughs> I, I probably would have said, uh, what? <laughs> it was a moment. What? I mean, it was a moment for him. It was a moment for me when I read that book. And so that, that stayed with me over the years. Uh, it, it, it created, it inspired in me to uh, preach a sermon uh, that was, uh, again, inspired by the book and then later morphed into the article uh, within that book. That, and the, and the, uh, the idea, the principal idea there is that God is for all people and uh, regardless of uh, race, culture, language, or whatever. 
but God is for all people. That is so the opposite of what you hear. Oh, yeah. You know, I love that. And when I read that, I I was just like, that is so awesome that he's the color of water. He's for everybody. Wow. It doesn't matter who that, you that's are. That's strong right there. For, for mom to come up, you know, she's like cleaning, she's doing this thing, moving this thing, making a pot of coffee. And he's like, mom, what color is God? And she's like, yeah, man. Um, well, I don't have time to elaborate, but let me blow your mind. How about that? The color of water in the kids. And it's just life. capturing. It's capturing those opportunities, those teachable moments. Uh, and this was a mother to a child, but you know we can capture those teachable moments with people that we have developed personal relationships with uh, that bring us into these conversations, and we just have to be discerning to be able to to share at a moment's notice in a seamless way. You know, sort of a natural expression of where we are in our journey of faith. And that's what she did. And that's why I really enjoy this book that you've written is every section is mind blowing like that, but it's just really down to earth and so simple. And it's just like, Oh wow, that's a nugget. I'm going to hold on to that. Or I want to know more about that. It's just really well written in the book. The music. Uh, Thank, you. Thank you. Glenn. Yeah. Thank you, brother. It means a lot. Thank you. Back in November, I, you were at, Get Real Studio version 1.0 in, yeah. in, in the bigger, it wasn't as nice as, as this, what we have now. And you and I, we were just talking, we were having good, great fellowship that afternoon, and I pulled up the Devin Townsend Grace video you did. for you. You did. What, what Dan showed me. And Devin, is he a believer? I don't know. We, we, we just don't know. We can't, we can't comment on Never that. heard him profess ne- anything never heard like him that profess, at all. So, we, we can't say either way, and it's not our place to say either way anyway. But when you saw that, you had a reaction to that that was similar to the one that I think that I had. So going back in time, what were your thoughts when you heard that and saw that video? And can you put that in, in the context of God being pluralistic? Yeah, well, you know, when I first saw it, I was shocked. Uh, it's, <laughs> it, you know, it's... Uh, it's visceral, man. It's uh, it shocks you. With at, for me, it shocked me at the level of questioning my own understanding of God's grace and what it looks like. And um, but you know, upon reflection, what I realized was, you know, God's grace is like that. It's it, it shocks the individual. It, you know, actually, it shocked me when I came into understanding that actually God loved me in spite of myself, uh, and that I could never earn the grace of God. I mean, that's visceral. I mean, it's so counterintuitive to everything that we learn in, in Western culture that we have to earn everything that we have. You cannot ever, ever in all eternity earn the grace of God because it comes from a perfect being who loves us, and there's no way that we can uh, gratify or justify ourselves through our own merits uh, to that perfect being. So uh, whatever love comes from God has to come from Him through His own initiative, and it, it has to be offered freely, and God does through the merits of Jesus Christ. And and the theology uh, of the sacrifice of Christ is that actually God enveloped Himself in, in, in the sacrifice of Christ, and, and by doing so, offered up everything that we could ever offer uh, to satisfy 
his needs for justification. And I, and I know that, you know, it's getting into like the theology of the whole thing, but, but it's shocking. It's absolutely shocking. And, and so when I heard that, uh, when I heard that, uh, when you played that for me, I was, I was kind of, you know, it's, man, this is visceral, man. This is, uh, this is aggressive. But God's, God's love is like that. It is visceral. It is aggressive. It's counterintuitive. Uh, and there's a line from that song, uh, that goes, far too close to home to see it now. Uh, and, and for us mere mortals, it can become that. And, and so the best that we can do as people of faith is to embrace the reality of that truth claim uh, that God loves us in spite of himself. And that, that is grace. It's, it's pure grace. We can never earn it. So there it is. What was your first reaction to that Devin Townsend grace? Mine was like, dude, that's a cool unitard. No, it was, no, no. It, the, I, it, there was something about it. It moved me to see what was completely unchurchy, completely coming out of. You're thinking this is heavy metal. This has nothing to do with Christ or the gospel. Or it's not a Christian band. It has nothing. But yet there was such a um, a genuine exuberance. You got the people, the crazy people in the choir robes. You got all these weird artistic expressions. You got people walking around almost like heavenly creatures described in the Revelation. Right. You've got all this stuff going on with this expression about this this jubilance that even if people, they might not believe in scrambled eggs, but they're going to feel something echoing there. There's yeah. something going on. And it, it moved me to being like, that is more church than I think I've ever seen, you know, just seeing that, even as weird as it was. When you first showed it to me, I took it in and I was in awe of it, but I watched it like 10 more times after you left. And by about the ninth or 10th time, I was in tears. Yeah. And I was repenting of certain things in my life that I need, knew that needed to go where I had cut God out of my life. And, and pushed him aside. And it was really that video and coming to that point and understanding that it is visceral and that God is moving in such a powerful way in that way. It moved powerfully on me. And it's that's what led me to, inspired me in a way to write the book that I wrote. And it's kind of the reason why we're sitting here now. Was part of what moved you with that? Because... God came out of this completely unexpected place in a place that was completely not religious because you were, you and I both were somewhat isolated and I would say depressed in our walk uh, as far as our viewpoint of God because of cultic, because of religious, because of all that. It seems so unreligious to me, but so genuine. And then God's like moving through these people. He's ministering to you through, through a crazy metalhead, yeah. right? What moved me is it took me back. Do you remember that time we took that trip down to Georgia and we were at the ramp? Yeah, yeah, Alabama. Alabama. Mm -hmm. That's right. We started in Georgia, then we moved down to Alabama. Alabama. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Alabama was, was the ramp. But when we were in Georgia, we had that experience where that choir came in. Do you remember that choir? The Lee College choir? The Lee College yes. choir. Yes, yes, That was similar. And it was okay. so heavy in there, just the spirit of oh, God. Oh, wow. I, I had never experienced anything like that before. That was the same feeling I got when I watched Devin Townsend. Okay, Christ. me so too. So I knew it was the same spirit. It's this jubilant choir. It's usually of college-age people, 
and they just let them sing or do whatever. They're not putting on a show. They're not doing this. But if, if somebody wants to just sing like this or sing like this or dance or move or do anything, they just do it. And that is the closest thing I've ever seen to Devin, to, to yes, that actual to that thing. that actual thing. So it's the same spirit moving. And then we were at the, when we were, when we went down to the ramp, mm-hmm. to Karen Wheaton's ministry down in, down in Alabama, I can't even describe how I felt down there. It was just, it was the closest thing to being to heaven hmm. that I think that you can experience being right. on earth. That's interesting. And that's the way that I felt about the second or third time that I'd watched the, the Devin Townsend video. And it was the same feeling of, I can't, my flesh can't handle this. Right. Hmm. If that makes sense. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. God, God ministers in the way that he wants to through who and how he yeah, wants to. But I like that. Grace is counterintuitive, shocking. Yes, it is. And visceral. Yes. Just think of David. We talk about him all the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he screwed it up, I don't know how many yeah. times, and you know, yeah. really did it bad, but God's grace. Yeah. Today, it's so good that, you know, and you've said this, Dan, that God is not like us. Yeah, not at all. Well, imagine how the Bible reeks of authenticity. Because, in the sense, it goes full-blown tabloidal on David's life, right? Lays all his shame out there. Does it redemptively. But go figure, when does a king get written about in his national like book, right? And it shows all his dirty laundry. It, it is so authentic and so trustworthy because it's like, this is going to lay out David. It's going to lay out Israel's shame. going to lay out all this stuff. And that is so not political that's not the way things run in the world it's miraculous because it's not about david it's about god yeah you know yeah yeah there you go there we go there you go (laughs) it is but isn't that funny it does make it It really have an essence of the authenticity and authority because you're like this is exceptional this is not your normal national historical book that's going to make well stalin was a great guy and an excellent chess player and he could uh he didn't kill all those people the emperor does not poop yeah, he exactly. So, so mighty, he does not poop. No flatulence existed in France for yeah, really. 500 years. Oh, yeah. And then to put it on top of that, Joe, what you just said, because it's not about David, it's about God. Not only was David king of Israel, and he's going to be the potentate during you know the, the new Jerusalem, but that's the bloodline that Jesus came through. Absolutely. Yeah. Think about that one. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's where the Messiah came from. And you know from. what? And God's will be done. Yeah. Well, this is some deep stuff, guys. It is. So the book is Musings from the Heights. It's by J.R. Molina. I got a copy right here in my formerly (laughs) something (laughs) something stained fingers. fingers. (laughs) And you can get it on Amazon.com. And what we're going to do is feature this book on the Lithos Cry website, lithoscry.com, with a link to go to purchase it on Amazon. And the proceeds go towards the Fisher House to help Thank uh, you, fellas. I, listen, I really, I, I'm, I, uh, I'm so grateful for this invitation, the opportunity to share some thoughts, your insightful questions, uh, your thinking, man, and, and I appreciate that. And you're thinking in the context of the new generation, uh, and and so I, I really am very, very appreciative of this invitation. Come out and be with you. Dude, we're two old dudes. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking in the context of this generation. Yeah, this generation. Yeah. Now, Joe, here's the $64,000 question. Oh, no. Oh, waiting oh, for no. laughs. 
Is this you climbing the mountain on the cover of the book? No, it is not. Oh. 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 Yeah. Although it has felt like yeah. <laughs> climbing the mountain. Yeah, that felt like last week for me, except Man, I was that like is, upside down. Dude, that is the mountain of sanctification. You know, you got your ups and your downs. and yeah. If somebody wants to reach out to you personally, Joe, and discuss anything that they read in the book or something that moves them, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Well, they can get a hold of me at uh, jmolina at Citadel dot edu uh that's really is the uh easiest way to for them to make contact with me you know what guys we're talking to people across the world and we know the citadel because we're right here you and i went there we went there uh the citadel for you if you're in england or australia or wherever you're at the citadel is a military college it's um if you could if you've ever heard of west point or annapolis or they're like Okay, it's it's a military academy where cadets are going to college and they're kind of preparing or preparing for possible military service or um, civilian career. So it's it's like West Point, but not directly sponsored. It's more private, right? Half private? State. Or well, it's a state college. State college, yeah. yeah. So that's Jay Molina at citadel.edu. And let's spell that for them, damn it. C-I-T-A-D-E-L. C-I-T-A-D-E-L. Uh, Citadel.edu, and if you want to reach out to Dan or I, that is uh, Lithoscry, L-I-T-H-O-S-C-R-Y, at gmail.com. Joe, thank you for coming and, and spending some time with us. We're going to have to do this again. Yeah, it was fun. Talk, talk about it was very cool, stuff. man, very yeah. cool. Yeah, it's Love good these stuff. conversations. So, yeah, awesome. all right. All well, right. <laughs> just say no to postmodernism and, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, all of that. <laughs>